0: And they can't reconcile that with your goodness. And we know, Father, that many Christians don't live the full and abundant life that you've designed us to live. as We, too, struggle with the issue. And so I come humbly before you tonight, and I ask you, Father, to cleanse me and to wash me from my sin. And to help me, Lord Jesus, to share your word as you desire And I pray that you'd do the same for every person who is here, that we could hear and receive what it is that you're saying, and that you could bring us strength and hope in the midst of very difficult times. So God, give us understanding. We want you to be lifted up, and we pray that our hearts and our minds will be changed by Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So the title of this message is, If God is Good. And, of course, you know what follows that phrase. If God is good, then why is there so much suffering? If God is good, then why do so many bad things happen? If God is good, then why does evil exist? And this hits home for us because every one of us in these pews suffers. If you have never suffered in your life, please raise your hand. If you suffer a whole bunch, please raise your hand. Okay. Now, it's the timing of this message is really something else because any of you who follow me on Facebook or are associated with the ministry know that my heart is really driven to proclaim so that people understand what is currently happening in the Middle East and with persecution around the world. And, I'm telling you that there must be something to this God that we serve that people throughout the history of the universe have decided that they would rather give their lives up than deny their God. Amen? And do you know that there are people over in Iraq right now as we sit here who methodically children are being beheaded, mothers are being raped, Fathers are being hung. Christians are being persecuted while we sit comfortably here. And many, many, many of those Christians do not recant their faith. Right? Okay? So there's something about God. God is good. But when we suffer and when we see what's happening in the world, um, lots of questions go through our head. And in fact... Having taught apologetics for many, many years, I'll tell you that the number one argument that atheists use against God is this. How could a God exist that is both good and all-powerful? They cannot reconcile the two things. If he's good, they say, then he's not powerful enough. If he's good enough to care to stop the suffering, he certainly can't be powerful enough to do it because he's not stopping it. And if he's all-powerful and he can do anything, and he's still letting people suffer, then he must not be good. So this is the number one argument that atheists use against Christianity. It's also the question that most Christians secretly ponder. Have you ever? Have you ever, like, in your head said, God, if you're good? All right? So it's a very important question to deal with. Now, before we even go any further, because I titled the message, If God is Good, I want to make a full-out statement at the very beginning and say, God is good, amen? God is good, and there is suffering in the world. Both statements are absolutely true and can be reconciled, okay? So the first thing I want to say is, God is good, and there is suffering in the world, God is good, and bad things do happen in this life, absolutely positively. God is good, and there is evil in this world. So whereas an atheist would tell you it's got to be one or the other, the Bible tells us that it's actually what? It's both, okay? So that's the first thing we need to understand. And before we go any further, we also need to understand that the Word of God is His revelation, It means God has made known to us truth that was previously not known. This doesn't come from inside of us. This comes from outside of us. It comes from God. And he is making the statement. So it must be true. And however much he is going to allow our pea brains, our finite little brains to understand this, then we will. Now, when we say, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? The first thing that we need to do is consider the use of the word good. See, this becomes a very loaded question because when atheists say, if God is good and all-powerful, then why does he do this and that? They are assuming a definition of the word good, aren't they? So what does it mean that God is good is the first thing that you have to ask yourself before you try to put God in a box and say, well, God, if you're all powerful and good, this doesn't make sense to me. So the first thing we have to understand is what does the word good mean? Now, the reason we need to go over this, the reasons are so obvious. First of all, I can stand up in front of you and say, chocolate peanut butter ice cream is good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Anybody else? Chocolate peanut butter ice cream is good stuff i like it i can also tell you and thank you ron and renee liner for leaving they came in tonight and they said we purposely left space around your newly parked nissan altima remember praise god my husband the ford man let me get a nissan and i'm going to tell you after uh driving around for 12 years in a ford taurus that didn't always start and i hate fords okay I can honestly stand before you and say, my new car is a good car. I like that car. That's a good car. And we can say this about people. For instance, Abraham Lincoln, he was a good man. A good-looking man, too, by the way. All right? So we use the word good, and we use it rather flippantly. I will talk about ice cream being good. I will talk about my new car being good. I can talk about a person being a good person. But what we need to remember is the definition of good as applied to God has got to be deeper than that. So first of all, if you were to go to the Oxford American College Dictionary and look up what good means, it means to be desired or approved of. Everybody agree? When it comes to ice cream flavors... We like them or call them good because we we desire them. If you give me a choice between, um, well, like cookies, for example. My dad likes oatmeal raisin cookies. (sighs) Why are you going to eat a cookie that has fruit in it? Okay? So... It's what you desire. Now, I like chocolate chip, peanut butter chocolate chip cookies, okay? So what we define as good is what we desire, what we approve of. It can also mean having the qualities required for a particular role. For example, my new car is a good car because when you get into a car, it's supposed to start when you turn it on. Okay, so my Nissan Altima fulfills the quality of actually starting. It fulfills the role of a car for which I am very happy, and so I call it a good car. Now, in the secular world, good also means possessing or displaying moral virtue. So we can say that Abraham Lincoln was a good man. Now, he wasn't a perfect man, amen, He was a sinner just like we are, but he had a lot of moral virtue. He did a lot of good things, and we say he was a good man. The fourth definition is usually what we mean when we talk about things being good. They give us pleasure. They're enjoyable or satisfying. Hence, ice cream is good to me. I like it. It gives me pleasure. It's designed for me to enjoy it. It satisfies me. I call it good. All right. To say that God is good is not the same as saying peanut butter chocolate ice cream is good. Does everybody understand this? I like chocolate peanut butter ice cream because when it hits my taste buds, it makes me feel good. Now, when it hits my waistline, it doesn't make me feel quite as good, but okay, To say that God is good means more than chocolate peanut butter ice cream is good because chocolate peanut butter ice cream satisfies a temporary uh, taste that I have in my mouth. I want some food. It satisfies me. And believe it or not, I'm actually going to say this, but to say that God is good is not the same as saying that Abraham Lincoln was a good man. You know that's hard for me to say because Abraham Lincoln was great in my estimation. Okay, but it's not the same thing. To say that God is good must mean so much more than those things. It must mean more than giving pleasure enjoyable or satisfying. Now, I'm about to make a a few statements that are kind of hard to swallow. So first, before we go there, before we talk about the definition of good, let me go back to what I said at the beginning. Atheists would say, how could a God who is both good and all-powerful exist if people are killing each other if bad things are happening they would say if he's good he must not be powerful because his goodness is not causing him to take care of all the problems and if he's powerful he certainly must not be good because if he has the power to stop it but he doesn't have the will to stop it then he must be a nasty god that's what they would say So the first thing that I want to say to you is, when we ask the question, how could a good and all-powerful God allow such and such to happen, here's the thing. And I just realized this the other day when I was studying. When an atheist or a skeptic asks that question, they are naturally assuming that God is all-powerful. They want Him to be all-powerful. Because they want to take his motivation and mess it up, you know. Well, he's all-powerful, so he could stop all those 30,000 people from being stuck, stuck on that mountain over there in Iraq and not starve them to death. So since he's powerful enough to do it, he just must not want to or care to. So they have to put both parts of God in there, and they naturally assume, well, he is all-powerful. Of course, because if you're going to believe in a God, let me just say this, if you're going to posit that there's a God, if you're going to believe that there's a God, then by his very nature, he will be above humanity, correct? Now, let me give you a natural example of why I believe this. Okay, I would never say, you know what, it is Debbie Vandermullen's fault that the world is such a mess. Because as powerful as she may be in some areas, she's not powerful over the world, correct? You going to blame her for your troubles? Maybe her husband will, but we aren't, okay? So we're going to blame her because no human being is all-powerful. So we don't pick out certain human beings and say, it's their fault the world is a mess. People will only do it with God because we know if we're talking about a God, he must be what? above us transcendent and all-powerful so right away we'll admit and even a skeptic will admit well if you're going to believe in this fairy tale type god he would be all-powerful correct because if he's not all-powerful he would just be a human and we don't care we don't go around blaming humans all right so here's the deal when we call him all-powerful we're admitting that his power presses beyond the limits of human power is everybody with me Well, here's what I want you to get stuck in your mind tonight. Then when we talk about his goodness, it must also press beyond the limits of human goodness. Correct? Okay? Why are we willing to say, yes, he's all-powerful. If he's God, he's got to be. But when we talk about His goodness, we bring it down to our level and say, well, God being good is kind of like ice cream being good to me. I want Him to, I want it to taste good. I want it to feel good. I want it to satisfy my needs. I want God to do exactly what I want Him to do. I want Him to be exactly what I want Him to be. Do you see how that doesn't work? If His power goes beyond human limits, then His goodness also goes beyond human limits, okay? To say that God is good, by virtue of Him being God, He is transcendent. That means above and beyond what we are. God is other than us. He is not human. He is way beyond that. When we speak of His love, for instance, how many of you believe that the love of God is infinitely greater than the love any human being has for you? How many of you are thankful for that? Amen? As much as Jeff loves me, or my dad loves me, or my friends love me, or anybody loves me, nobody loves me how's that old saying go there's an old saying or song ain't nobody loves me like jesus loves me amen because god's love is what unconditional people's love is conditional god will never fail you people's love will fail you they'll turn on they'll turn off right god loved you when you were absolutely an enemy of him guess when people love you when you're what good to them okay is altogether pushing beyond the boundaries of human love and all of us will gladly say that we'll put a smile on our face and say sure Shelley when we talk about God's love we're talking about a love that's greater than human love When we talk about God's power we're talking about a power that is greater than human power well guess what when you talk about God's goodness you're talking about a goodness that is greater than human goodness amen Okay, so get that in your mind first. That's the first very important logical framework that we have to build in our mind. Because for some reason, we'll admit his power and his love is greater than ours, but when it comes to his goodness, we want to put it in a little box and say, God being good means that he'll do exactly what Shelley Prindle wants him to do for her, what feels good in her life. Not true. That's not what God's goodness means. All right, in regard to good being what pleases us, remember this. Now, here's where people are going to be like, ah, I don't like this. I don't like it either, but it's true. You ready for this? God was not created for your pleasure. See, I think the problem is, I think that the whole reason that we have so many issues in the church of Jesus Christ is we've got major theological things upside down, like major things upside down. For instance, God was not created, number one, and he certainly wasn't created for my pleasure. Actually, we were created for God's pleasure. If you can't swallow that, then you might as well get up and leave the sanctuary right now because this is not going to go anywhere good for you, okay? This is the truth. Now, I'm going to give you good news on this, but this is the truth. Colossians 1.16 says that by him, it says that all things were created by him and, somebody say it, for him, the Bible does not say that God exists to please Shelley Prindle to fit in her brain. It doesn't say that. It says that Shelley Prindle was created for God's purposes. And then I want us to go to Revelation chapter four, verse 11. Everybody actually turn there if you have a Bible, and we'll hear the rustling of the pages, which I love. Revelation chapter 4. That's the only thing I don't like. There's a lot of reasons I don't like smartphones and Bibles on phones. And I know, I'm going to write an article someday soon called, Thy Word Have I Hidden on My iPhone. But it, I haven't written it yet. Okay, but there's a lot of reasons I don't. One reason I like to hear the rustling of pages, all right? So Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. This is a key theological scripture for, uh, for Christians. We need to know this. We need to understand this. The 24 elders fall down before the throne of God. And here is what they say in Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. Wait. Wait. God's receiving and we're not? Yeah. Worthy are you, God, to receive all the glory, all the honor, all the power. Why? Because you created all things. And by your will... Because of what you wanted, they exist and were created. Amen? So listen, everything in the universe, including you, was created for God's pleasure and glory. We got the whole thing absolutely backwards. And that's why so many Christians are absolutely miserable. Because they believe that God exists as a giant Santa Claus in the sky to give them what they deem is right and good for their lives. And they do not understand that they were actually created to bring glory and honor to His name and to serve His purposes. And when you do that, happiness is a byproduct. Amen? Okay, so you've got to get... You know, this is where this has got to start. When you're talking about God's goodness, you have to remember... That God was not created for your pleasure, you were created for God's pleasure. So, therefore, his goodness does not hinge on him appeasing my felt needs at any given moment. Despite what, despite what some false teachers may preach, okay, God does not give you everything you demand and ask for, even if you do it by faith and pray really, really hard right he actually gives us what is good for us now check this out which happens to be what's good for him wow okay so don't you ever lay your head on the pillow at night and say god must not be good or he must not be good to me because he is not meeting my needs listen Right now, there are Christians over in Iraq watching their children beheaded. You with me? And some of those, many of those Christians do not recant their faith. And while they are being literally put to the sword for their faith in Jesus Christ, all right, it doesn't seem like God is meeting their felt needs. Okay? Is God still real in Iraq? Does God still love the people over there? Let me ask you a question. Is God good while they line up 15 children and take off their heads over in Iraq? Is God still good? Yep. He is. All right? So let's keep going. So. God's goodness does not change just because your felt needs are not being met at some particular moment according to your standards. Listen, we developed ice cream flavors to please us. How many of you know there are way too many ice cream flavors? There's also way too many types of cereal. There's also way too many types of everything. Okay? It should not take a person four or five minutes to pick cereal. There should be like five choices in my opinion. Okay, this is a craziness, this world. It's crazy. We developed ice cream flavors to please us because we have an insatiable desire, don't we? Okay? However, God created us to please Him. See, it's totally backwards. We're looking for stuff to please us. He's looking for us to want to please Him, and that's how we experience true joy. So you've got to twist this thing on its head. Now, When we sense God, we sense God's goodness then as we align with his pleasure. Okay, you're going to start to pick up on his goodness when you start to align with his pleasure. People who are giving their lives or making great sacrifices for the kingdom of God happen to be some of the most happy people on the face of the earth, correct? Because they are aligning with God's pleasure. And they would call God good when they had absolutely nothing. Now, if you have a problem with what I've said so far, Isaiah 45, 9b is for you. Does the clay say to the potter or him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles and I want it to have handles. Listen, the clay can't tell the potter what to do. You with me? We are the creation. He's the creator. You may like it or you may not like it, but the bottom line is somebody created you and he has a plan and it's not your plan, it's his plan. Amen? Okay. So also, in the middle of this, while we're talking about we were made for God's pleasure and all this stuff, you think, well, you know, then, you're, then you get into people that talk about God being selfish and I'm like, oh, okay, this could go down a million different rabbit trails, but let me tell you this one thing. Even though we were created for God's pleasure, we find His goodness in our lives. All right? He gives it to us. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every smile somebody gives you, even if it's a smile on the face of an atheist, it comes from God. Every bit of provision you have in your life, it comes from God. God showers his goodness upon us. Everything that is good comes from him. Also, and I love this scripture, Psalm 1611. The psalmist is writing it about this life, kind of, but he's really making an allusion into heavenly life. And watch this. Even though I was created for God's pleasure, here's what God allows for me. The Bible says, God, you make known to us the path of life, and in your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So ironically, even though I was made for his pleasure, and he is not a machine up in the sky to doll out to me whatever I think I want, when I get to heaven someday, there is going to be nothing but what for me? pleasure forevermore okay so you have to keep you have to keep things in proper perspective we do look at this I thought of this statement as I was reading the scriptures I thought now God's goodness because it's infinite cannot possibly fit into my small ideas or my small life for example I can't say oh God gave me a new house and a new car and I have good health and so that means that God is good that would be, that's trying to cram the infinite into your tiny little ideas of what goodness is. You can't fit God's goodness into your small ideas or into your small life. But, here's the cool part, my tiny little life can fit into His goodness, amen, and be wrapped up in it. Okay? My tiny little life can fit into Him and therefore be wrapped up in His goodness. Don't you to think of it that way. Okay? You can't cram God's goodness into you. It's infinite. It's way beyond what we understand. But we can get ourselves in God and be wrapped in his goodness. Okay. Now, I wrote a very, very, very short story many, many years ago when I was a Christian school teacher. I was going to do a seminar for teachers. And I forget what I was even talking about, but I wrote this very, very short story. Now, I want you to hang on to your seats. This is a crazy story. I'm going to read the first paragraph and then I'm going to close out with the second paragraph and I just want you to pay as much attention as possible to this as I read it. Okay? Here we go. As she lay there suddenly unconscious he hovered over her body with his glistening knife. His accomplices nervously awaited his every move as beads of sweat dripped from his forehead despite the well-thought-out plan. He lifted his arm slightly, and then it happened. His gloved hand began its descent toward her chest. The intense breathing could be heard from behind his mask. Then swiftly, the glistening knife pierced her skin and went deeper, deeper. Within minutes, the doctor had removed the deadly bullet, which had been lodged perilously close to her heart, and she would recover. Did you think when I finished reading that paragraph, like, ooh, Shelley is sadistic and murderous. She can write good stories. Wow. When I read this paragraph to you and all you have is words on the wall, sort of in the book, words on the wall, You don't have the ending, and you're not dropped into the scene to see what the mask looks like or what the setting is, right? You at first thought that this was a murder scene, didn't you? A masked man with his accomplices is nervous as he's about to commit a murder, and he raises the knife. Kill this woman. But I bring the ending into play, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, wait a second. That was a medical mask. That was a knife used for surgery. This wasn't a murderer trying to kill somebody. This was a doctor, a surgeon, trying to save somebody. Weird, huh? Don't forget this story. We're going to come back to it. Now watch this. I want you to get that in your mind when I share this with you. Okay. Okay. Children get very confused when they have to get shots. All right? Taya, you've been very confused when you've had to get some shots, haven't you? Not pretty. Not good. See? Not good. All right? Here's what happens. You tell you have a two- or three-year-old and say they have to get an immunization or say it's even worse than that. Say their life is at stake at that moment. Say you have a two- or three-year-old who's been bitten by a dog and must get a rabies shot because the dog was rabid. Or you have a two- or three-year-old who has a severe allergic, to act, allergic reaction to something and must have a shot of epinephrine or they'll die. Okay? So you as a mom take your child to MedExpress or to the emergency room and the child's two or three years old and you understand that they are about to get a needle put in their arm that looks thicker than the size of their arm. Okay? And you know your child. And you're sitting there and you absolutely know this child has to get this shot or she is going to die. Then you think, or I might die listening to the screaming. And even though your child looks up, you and we make light of this, but mothers, is it a difficult situation? Because you hate that. You hate for those big eyes to look up into your eyes, screaming and crying, and basically the child is saying, Mommy, why are you holding me on your lap so that people can torture me? Now we giggle. Here we go. Ready? God, why are you holding me on your lap so that I can be tortured to death? Now, wait, because here's where my mathematical, logical mind kicks in. I I sit at home and I stew and listen. When there's a child and there's an adult. Now, I believe this is the most pivotal part of this message, and I pray that the Holy Spirit gets this into your heart. Please do not walk away without this. It's changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. When you have a child and you have an adult, you have a three-year-old and an adult, and you have the shot situation, there is a finite distance between the understanding of a three-year-old and their mother. Correct? And yet, any good mother you know, is not going to put their finger in their three-year-old's face and yell at them and say, you're going to be punished when you get home for complaining about this shot. You should fully understand that I am trying to save your life. You would never do that, would you? You would be cruel to expect the child at three years of age to understand that at that moment while they are receiving a giant injection and very painfully so and you are holding them down and letting it happen, you would never expect them to understand that, would you? And You would never punish them for not understanding it because you realize, hey, give them 10 or 15 years. Let them grow into understanding. In about 10 or 15 years, you can sit them down and explain it to them, correct? And that's a finite distance, isn't it? But we are good enough and gracious enough to allow the understanding that a child could never get. Why I'm shoving that needle into their arm. They can't get that. Everybody agree? The distance in understanding... Between a human and God. See where I'm going with this? The distance in understanding between a human and God is not finite. And believe it or not, when we get to heaven, we don't become omniscient either. We will never be omniscient. We will grow in understanding and something will happen when we see him face to face. But we're never going to be omniscient. God's understanding is infinite. Amen? God's understanding is infinite. Human understanding is finite. So the distance between my understanding and God's understanding is infinite. Now, when it comes to 10 or 15 years between a child and an adult, I will allow for the fact that I know what I'm doing. I know what's good for that three-year-old, even if they can't understand But when it comes to me sitting on the lap of God in life and He allows me to have a disease and He doesn't heal me of it and He allows me to go through problems and I don't understand it and He allows someone to struggle with anxiety and they can't get over it and somebody else doesn't have enough money to buy the things that somebody else has and someone else is diagnosed with cancer and God doesn't take it away right away and somebody else's family is a mess and somebody else's marriage is this and that. And when all these things happen, we automatically assume, well, God... What are you doing? You must not be good. Are we crazy or what? When Bria holds Taya on her lap at two years old and Taya gets a shot, the best that Bria can do is put her hand on Taya's head, right? Rub her head. Look down at her and say... It's going to be okay. Taya doesn't understand how it's going to be okay. It doesn't feel okay. So it's going to be okay. I want to tell you something. If you believe in God, his understanding is infinite. Amen? And the best that he can do for you right now. And it's not a cop-out. Is it a cop-out when a mother does that? Would you say that mother's a liar, that mother's not good, that mother's not good enough for not explaining it to the child? No, the mother can't make the child understand. God cannot right now make you fully understand what he is doing in your life when he's giving you the shot. But he is doing the right thing. Amen? And you simply have to trust as he strokes your head and says, it is going to be okay. Hallelujah. Now listen, I know I'm crazy for many reasons, but I'm not crazy for this analogy that I came up with because I remember the Apostle Paul when he was talking about mysteries that we can't quite figure out. Do you know what he said? He said, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words... There's growth that can happen, all right? I understand why I have to have shots. I get it. If I was two, I might not. But watch this. The next thing that Paul said was, right now, we see in a mirror dimly. And mirrors back then were just polished glass, and it was very hard to see a reflection. And Paul was saying, the best you can see is like this fuzzy resemblance of what's going on. He said, but someday I'm going to see God face to face. Amen? Now I know in part, now I am the two-year-old, but someday I'll be the 15-year-old. Amen? Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. And Paul, I'm sure he would say, when I became an adult, I look back and I realize, Paul, you could have never understood the shot back then, but now you totally get it. And I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here in front of you right now, you do not understand the trials and the difficulties that you go through right now, but you will when you get to heaven and you look back. Amen? Amen. Listen, if you are in the middle of it and you are sitting on God's lap and he is holding you in a situation and you're just whimpering like a child and looking up and saying, God, I don't get this. That's all you know to do. Just let him put his hand on your head and say. It's going to be okay." Trust his character. Frank Gabaline, a great Bible commentary, said that what he believed Paul was saying in those verses is this, Now through the word of God I know in part, then in the presence of the Lord I will know fully, to the full extent that a redeemed finite human being can know, and in a way similar to the kind of way the Lord in his infinite wisdom fully and infinitely knows me. In the doctor's office, Bria's is sitting there looking at Taya, bawling as she gets the shot. And although it grieves Bria's heart, she knows, amen, that what she's doing is the right thing. And she will do the right thing, even though Taya can't understand it, correct? But wouldn't she be a great mother if she said, well, Taya, I understand you don't want this shot, so let's just not do it. Would that be good? No, okay? That's what God is doing with you. He's looking down at you and you don't understand, but he is being a good God. Amen? Very good God. Now, when we talk about the words of the Apostle Paul, I just want to get something straight. Now, I want you to understand, he was no novice sufferer. Because some say, the Apostle Paul, he was a great man. He doesn't know what it was like to suffer. He's never battled with cancer. My goodness, Paul, you weren't a diabetic, were you? I guess he wasn't because they didn't have insulin back then. He would have died. But, you know, <laughs> you know you, what does Paul know? suffering, for heaven's sake. Watch this. When, When the Apostle Paul was talking about his apostleship and comparing himself to others, he said, I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonments. You like that one? How many of you have ever been imprisoned for your faith? Okay. Paul had far more imprisonments. How many of you have been beaten countless numbers of times for your belief in Jesus Christ? Beaten because you were a brat as a kid? Okay. All right. I remember getting my face slapped once. Okay, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Look, we may suffer with a lot of illnesses and problems, but Paul was often on the brink of death. He said five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes minus one. He was whipped. He was flogged. He said three times I was beaten with rods. Anybody in here ever been stoned? Can you imagine? They took stones and they tried to kill him. Three times he was shipwrecked. He said, a night and a day I was actually adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, false teachers. I've been in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often been without food. I've been in cold and exposure. Does this guy know something about suffering? But here's the biggest, and Pastor will identify with this. Of all those things, I like that he adds this at the end. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches I'm in charge of. (laughs) Okay? I mean, he just puts that on because that's very real. Because I want you to know something. Those are a lot of physical dangers, a lot of things he struggled with. But some of you, your suffering is in your mind. It's anxiety. It's depression. It's that kind of thing. And Paul says, I know it all. Amen? He said, I know it all. Now, why did I tell you that? Because I want you to understand, this is the guy, not some guy with some perfect life. This is the man who said, all right, you Ready? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now watch this. Here's where people get offended, and that's why I wanted to explain to you about Paul before you read his words. Because some people can read this and say, he's a jerk. How can he say that? Oh, he could say it. Watch this. He said, your troubles are light. And momentary. How would you like somebody walk up to you? When you're in the middle of your deepest suffering, ah oh, your your troubles are so light and momentary. They'll be over soon. Okay, you just want punch in the face. Okay. Paul was not walking up to people and saying, Your troubles are nothing. They're light as a feather. They'll be over in a snap. He wasn't just saying that and a period, end of sentence. Here's what he was saying compared to eternity you with me and here's what we spoiled little brat christians never do i'm calling myself that don't be offended i'm calling you that too but i'm calling me that okay here's what we spoiled little brat christians do we do not have an eternal perspective we don't we do not there's a problem in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't even have perspective on the suffering of anybody around us. We just don't have perspective. Paul said, compared to eternity, your troubles really are light and they are momentary. You say, they don't feel light to me. They feel very, very heavy. Well, guess what? You've never felt the weight of glory when you stand and look at Jesus face to face. Amen? Amen. You might say, but they don't seem momentary to me, and I'd say that too. 31 years with type 1 diabetes. It feels like a long time. It's nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. You can't look at the number 3 on a number line and say, hey, 3, look out there at infinity. You know what it feels like to be infinity? He says, are you kidding me? I have to walk to four and then five, past six, seven, and eight, and nine, and I just keep walking, and I never get to infinity. I have no idea what it's like to be out in infinity. Well, guess what? You have no idea what it's like to be in eternity. Amen? In eternity, God will far repay you for the troubles you've been through. He will far show you. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he, he said. These are, it's not just that you're going through trouble, it's actually achieving you something. It's achieving an eternal glory, and he used a word that literally means to weigh, something heavy. He said, it's achieving for you an eternal glory that far, what? Outweighs them. It's a heaviness. Okay? You're going to get something for your troubles. God is working in your troubles. God never, no, never, no, never wastes anything, does he? According to the Bible, he doesn't waste one thing. He doesn't waste you stubbing your toe. He doesn't waste an argument that you have with someone. He doesn't waste any sin that anybody commits. He doesn't waste any disease. He doesn't waste any troubles. He is achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And just because you're the number three right now and you can't see infinity, doesn't mean that it's not real. Amen? God has called us to live with an eternal perspective. And it is high time the church of Jesus Christ start thinking eternally and not temporarily. Okay. We're finite. We're stuck in this little piece. There are eternal things that God is accomplishing that go out into infinity that we can't even imagine yet. And you have to believe that by revelation of God because you can't be there yet. Amen. That is what Hebrews 11.1 1 means when it says... Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't yet see. Doesn't mean that there's no evidence for God on the face of the earth. It just means that a lot of where we're going, we don't have in front of us yet. But it's substantive and it's real and we've got to believe it. Okay. Now, because we lack knowledge, What is truly good can be mistaken. And I gave you a prime example of that. A child getting vaccinated. They think it's a bad thing. It's really a good thing. Uh, You're a parent and you spank your child or discipline your child, give them time out for crossing the road without checking for cars because you've told them over and over again to do so and they don't do it. And they cry and whine, Mommy, why did you have to give me a spanking? You know, they don't understand it because they've never been hit by a car. Right? So get this. Listen, God may be disciplining you and working something in your life through what you through. You say, God, I don't get this. And he's like, you don't know what I've been protecting you from through this. Amen? You've never been hit by a car yet. How about if your child has a brain tumor? You have to go to your child and you have to say, Wow, they're going to have to drill into your skull and remove a tumor. Doesn't that sound, you know, how could you explain that to that child? The child may not get it, but you know, if they don't go in there and get that thing out, the child's going to die. All these things can be mistaken because they come from a child's perspective. Well, guess what? We, compared to God, are like children. And the trials that we go through from a finite perspective may not make sense to us, correct? Is that a cop-out? And the answer is, No, it's not a cop-out when you do it with your children, is it? It's reality when you do it with your children because their understanding is limited. It's not a cop-out with God. Our understanding is limited. He is doing something very, very real, protecting us, helping us. The cross, if you were unsaved back in the day, and even the saved people didn't get it. When Jesus died on the cross, it seemed like a gigantic disaster and failure, correct? And actually, the greatest thing in the history of the world was happening on that day. But it wasn't understood at the time. And now for the last section of this message, I'm going to show you how parts of Psalm 136 and Joshua 1040 from a limited or short-sighted perspective can seem totally confusing and make us believe God is not good. So here we go. Psalm 136 in the ESV version. This is a beautiful psalm. Okay? Beautiful. If I could sing, I would sing it. But I can't sing. You ready for this? Give thanks to the Lord for He is... Say it with me. He is good. Give thanks to the Lord because He is good. Ready? And His steadfast love endures forever. You're like, yeah, this is a good psalm. Let's give praise to God. God is good and His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God over all gods. Amen? He's God over Allah. You know? He's God over all the false gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sound good? Give thanks to the Lord over all lords, over all masters, because his steadfast love endures forever. And so far, I'm like, yeah, go team. I'm on the right team. I love this. My God is good. His love endures forever. He's so awesome. He's so big. To him who alone does great wonders, because his steadfast love endures forever awesome to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever who can get into praising god because he made all those galaxies and all those stars and everything amen whoa you're like yes to him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever to him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. You go, God! You keep going. You are so good. Look at all these awesome and wonderful things that you've done for us to enjoy. Yeah! You're like, how much better could this get? How much more powerful could he be? Huh? What? What just happened here? We're in the same Psalm, aren't we? You're Creator, you're magnificent, made all these wonderful things, you're strong, you're awesome, you're good, your love endures forever. And in case you think God is some kind of weakling and he can't deal with who he is, he has a great self-understanding. He just wants you to know, by the way, I killed the firstborn in Egypt and guess what? My love endures. Forever. Isn't that something? That's a kick. And he brought out Israel from among them. I like that one. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, this is going somewhere good again. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the middle of it. Hey, go team. His steadfast love endures forever. What? But he took Pharaoh and his entire army and he drowned them to death. His steadfast love endures forever. Mm. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. Huh. He killed people. His steadfast love endures forever. He killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to his servant Israel for his steadfast love endures forever. Wow. Wow. On that night when the death angel went through all of Egypt and killed the firstborn in every household? How many people do you think were standing around saying, God is good? Huh? God kills. You read the Old Testament? He kills. How about this one? This is a rough one. Joshua 1040. Thus Joshua struck all the land. Watch this. The hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left no survivor. Joshua, what are you doing going around killing everybody? Men, women, and children? But he utterly destroyed all who breathed just as, what? What? Just as, what? The Lord, the God of Israel, commanded? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That's some hard scripture to understand. Because I'm not just saying that God is good and He allows people to be killed. I'm saying God is good... And he killed people. Okay. Listen. When God's people cried out to him in Egypt, they said, God, we need you now. We want you. Coming back, we want you. Please help us. Please save us. And the way that God delivered his people was through the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Correct? And then he said, now I'm calling you out of Egypt to go to the promised land because I want you to go to a place where you will worship me and set up a place to live that is good. Amen? Unfortunately, there are a bunch of people in that land. Now here's the ticket. You ready? Who have already made their choice against me. Who are damned and certainly on the road to hell who are sacrificing their own children to false gods in all kinds of sexual sin, killing one another, terrible, perverted, miserable sinners who have turned against me and made their choice, and they are damned and on the way to hell, okay? So God says, when I send you there, while you're not perfect, you are the people who cried out to me and said, would you save us? Amen? And God says, I'll save you. But when I send you into that land, you must destroy everything that lives and breathes. Because if you don't, then you will go in there and you will become just like they are. And if you become just like they are, you are damned and on your way to hell too. And guess what? Nobody's saved. So, some people willingly make the choice to go against God in the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. And God says to preserve a people who aren't perfect, but at least do want to be saved. The other ones want nothing to do with it. God's got to wipe out those people. That, they have to go in and wipe them completely out, so that when they go in, they don't become absorbed in that sinfulness and die themselves. Amen? And how many of you think at least some people who are saved and on their way to heaven in a relationship with God, it's better than the whole world goes to hell? Right? Now, in the Old Testament before Jesus died, God worked in these ways. But see, the Old Testament shows us in picture form of what the New Testament theology teaches. And I want to tell you something right now. Are you ready for this? The Canaanites, the bad people that were in the Canaan land that God said to get rid of, kill everything that breathes, because if you don't, they're going to take you over and you're going to die right along with them. You ready for this? The Canaanites, they be living in your heart. Okay? Okay? God must destroy what would destroy you. Okay, ready? God must destroy what would destroy you. So he said, drive them out. If you don't drive them out, you're going to get absorbed into it. And today, theologically speaking, what God is saying is, you better drive the sin out of your life and out of your heart, because if you don't, you're going to fall backwards. Amen? going to be lost God was very violent very serious when it came to a place of where his people had to live in holiness and rightness and guess what he is no less serious today he's even more serious he's so serious he sent his own son to die for our holiness now watch this Three things we need to remember then. First of all, whoops, my clicker isn't working. Can you guys hit it? There you go. You want heaven because. Now let's just stop for one second. Why do you want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven because everything's perfect there. Amen? You want to go. How many of you want to go to heaven where everybody has seen the face of Jesus, okay? And everybody is now unselfish, all right? except God's just going to leave 500 selfish people in heaven. How many of you want to go there? Okay, listen. How many of you want to go to heaven? And it's going to be perfect, like sickness eradicated, totally gone as a result of the sin curse, except he's only going to leave three diseases in heaven, just three. Anybody want to go? Okay, that's what heaven's going to be like. How many of you want to go to heaven? And God will take all the jealous, murderous attitude out of everybody except for about 20 people. There'll be 20 people up there. They're still envious and jealous and murderous in their hearts. How's that sound? Okay? God's going to take out... Heaven's going to be perfect except for there's going to be about a 1,000 people who still have that, that selfish desire to fight. Doesn't that sound fun? Heaven's going to be... No. You want to go to heaven because the promise is heaven will only be filled with those who are what? Righteous. We will be perfected and made righteous. That's why you want to go to heaven, correct? All right? God is on a mission right now to prepare you for heaven. The pastor said something about it this morning. I can't remember word for word what he said, but it was exactly what I was trying to get to tonight. Listen, you don't sit in heaven if you're not about righteousness in this life. Right? So God is trying to work a plan to make us that we might sit in heaven. We know the Bible says that God works all things in the universe according to the counsel of his will. So the Islamic State over there in Iraq, they are not taking God by surprise. He's even working that after the counsel of his own will. But here's the promise. God works all things for the good in the lives of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, again, what does good mean? Okay, the goodness of God, we saw, means much more than what we can understand. What does it mean that God is working all things for good in your life? A lot of people want to sit down and say, I love this promise because it means I'm going to wake up every day and say, Oh, God, you give me everything good. Oh, just, my, my life is so good. I have everything I want. Uh-uh, that's not what good means. You know what good means? Look at this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Those who, what? There's two qualifiers. You have to, what? Love God. Now, a lot of people will say they love God. But you also have to be called according to His purpose. So then you ask yourself the question, what's the purpose? You ready for this? He answers it in the next verse with the word for. For ties the previous verse to the next verse. He says, for those God foreknew would call upon him, he predestined. You have a destiny, and here's your destiny. You ready for this? Your destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. How many of you are excited about your destiny? Oh, my. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Janice, Janice and Bill, for, for saving us from our, from our hedonism here. we <laughs> your destiny is to be like Jesus Christ. How many of you are excited about your destiny? Huh? Yeah. Yeah! Okay, yes! Listen! This is your destiny. And and precisely what just happened right now, and I know some of you are just shy about raising your hands and stuff, but precisely what happened just now is why so many people don't believe God is good. Because they don't have any clue what they should really be about. Your life is not the accumulation of all the things that satisfy and please you. That's not going to make you happy. Do you know what your life is going to make you happy? if you become more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? So, here's the deal. Just like God was good when he told his people to wipe out those in the land who would draw them into sin. You remember the scene? Remember the scene I wrote? It looked like a murder, didn't it? But it was really a doctor trying to save someone from a bullet that was lodged near the heart that would have killed them? You may be sitting in the pew tonight, right now, and you are saying, I think I've done this. I've at times looked up the gun and said, God, are you trying to kill me? Anybody? God? God? Are you taking some kind of sick pleasure in lowering this knife into my chest? Amen. And God says, no, Shelly. But I got to tell you something. You're struggling with this particular sin right there, and it's going to do you in. And I know it's going to do you in. I know you. I know you better than you know you. And this is going to hurt. But I'm going in there. And he gets out the knife. And he goes in there. And he starts digging around in my heart. And he starts messing with my circumstances. And all of a sudden, things are bleeding and opening up. And God's saying, now hold on there. This isn't a murder scene. What is this? I'm saving you from yourself. Amen? Let God remove the bullets of sin from your heart. Most of the time when we would look up to God and say, how could you be good if you're letting this happen to me? He wants to look down at you and say, you're about three years old compared to me. Sit on my lap. It's okay if you squirm. It's okay if you cry. I understand. But know this. One day you'll understand. I was saving you. God is good, amen, all the time. And what he's doing that we interpret as evil, God is working a plan. he it, It's not about what ice cream flavor you like. It's about you being like Jesus Christ. And God is going to, if you, if you say, God, I want to be saved, God, I want to grow closer to you, look out, because the knife is going to come. And just about the time you think you've... How many of you have ever gotten over one or two like particular sins that you really struggle with? And you're on top of the mountain. Yeah! I am holy now! How many of you know this is the truth? The closer you grow to God, the more sins you realize you struggle with. He refines you and refines you. And you're like, yeah, I made it! And God says, scalpel. Holy Spirit, scalpel please. Jesus is standing by as the assistant. He's the mediator. You know what I mean? Holy Spirit, scalpel. Dig, dig, dig. Okay, what's he doing? He's taking the bullets of sin out. God, in his mercy, listen to me, in his mercy, said, kill everything that breathes, everyone that has chosen against me. Kill it. Kill them. Because if you don't, they're going to take you over. And I want to tell you something tonight. If you refuse to allow God to deal with your own heart, If you refuse to sit on his lap and let him deal with it, give you the vaccinations you need, take out the bullets that are stuck in there, if you refuse to let him do it, you will be lost. Right? He loves you. God is good. And he does allow suffering. And I want to end on this note because this is a hard thing for me to say, but I said it in Sunday school today. I'm not making light or trivial of anything that happens. And there are families over in the Middle East who are being killed right now. And when they watch those terrorists take a sword and kill a friend or a family member for their stand for Jesus Christ, we should know that we would still be able to stand there and say, God is working something good in that. Amen? People, I have taught my youth group, you pray for what's happening over there because there are onlookers, there are terrorists, there are common citizens, there are people who are watching this happen. And while somebody's head rolls onto the ground, someone may be gripped in their heart and say, wow, maybe God, maybe Jesus is real. Amen? And I have said this to you guys many times, and I'll say it again. There have been many, many times where I have cried to God and said, God, could you please take away my disease? I've had enough. And I believe in my heart, God has told me through the years, I am a stubborn person. I am stubborn, and I am independent. And God says, nope, Shelley." That little bullet of independence, which means lack of dependence on me, it's got to come out. Amen? And if my disease keeps me dependent on God, so be it. Amen? God knows every one of our makeups. He knows exactly the bullets that are in your heart, the ones that need to come out. He says, I am good. My goodness is driving me to build a people who will be in a heaven that is perfect, a home of righteousness. Hallelujah. We were not, God was not created for our pleasure. We were created for his. And just about the time we realize that, we will start to enjoy his goodness. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please.